Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, we're back after a couple of weeks off. Well, before we get started, I want to welcome the new listeners. I want to welcome the repeat listeners. Thank you for listening again. If this is your first time, you're in for a treat. We have some great stuff for you. But Byron, before we get into all that, let the listeners know what we're talking about this week and why they should listen to the show every week. We do have an excellent show for you today. We basically break down news and politics. Uh, we try to bring uh, news and politics that isn't covered that much in mainstream media. And if it is, we try to give you a different angle on how it's discussed. Uh, we're mainly for people that don't follow the news on a day to day basis. But we also like those that do follow the news and just want to change from the norm. Uh, we have Zaza Ali joining us later in the show. And as Frank mentioned, we've been off a couple of weeks. And since we've been off, Frank, uh, what did you learn since we've been off since our last show, whether it be in pop culture or, or sports or even politics, if you want to discuss that right now? Is there anything that you learned that you didn't know while we were gone for two weeks? I'm going to stay away from the politics because we have a whole show to get into that. I would say I've learned that the NFL is the most arrogant league ever. Uh, the fact that they had a schedule release party on exclusively on NFL Network is completely <laughs> to me. I, I mean, I get it. It's very popular, but it's, it's just not that big a deal. I think the schedule is a big deal once you get near the season and you may have your favorite team. You look at the games, you may look at traveling. I think for those reasons, the schedule release is fine. But the way they make it an event is completely the NFL takes themselves way too seriously. Uh, the other thing I've noticed is the Milwaukee Bucks. Sometimes in the NBA, you, you, you don't see the next thing. Like, I don't, I mean, Golden State's been around for a while, so we kind of take it for granted that they're really good. And, you know, LeBron's been good for a long time. We know that. But Milwaukee, I look at their team, uh, Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo, and man, yep. this guy, he's 22, okay? So, yeah, he's got some flaws in his game, and he does some crazy things that are not fundamentally sound, but he's still seven feet. And he can shoot, he can handle, and he is it's crazy what he can do. And I'm looking at him and saying, wow, you don't always know who the next NBA superstar, super superstar is going to be. And I think I look at the Bucks and I say, wow, they could actually be a powerhouse team if, you know, depending on how things go, injuries and things like that. But as as you get to the end of the LeBron era, he's been, you know, playing for so long, he can't do it forever. And even, even Gold State Warriors, even though they've been great for this period of time, I don't know if they're going to be good five years from now, but I could see the Milwaukee Bucks with that core being like that next powerhouse team, assuming they could manage their personnel right and those kind of things. That's all good stuff right there, man. Uh, at Milwaukee, I, I, I picked them. They they make an upset the Raptors. Uh, they're up 2-1 right now, so we'll see what happens with that. I learned... Um, you know, you got Trump in the White House now and the Republicans maintain majorities in the House and Senate. So you would think this would be a good year for them. And I learned that so far it's been a kind of the opposite. You got Representative uh, Chaffetz, who is now saying that he's not going to seek reelection. So I'm speculating that it's because he is getting ready to come on the FBI investigation. I have no information on whether or not that's true. We already know what happened with Nunes and also learned that nothing is safe from conspiracy theories, uh, whether it be the Facebook killer was a hoax to get Facebook to uh, terminate Facebook Live uh, to Aaron Hernandez didn't really uh, kill himself. And if he did, he did it so he could uh, 
get the pay, force the Patriots to pay his daughter some type of money. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I just know. And when I say conspiracy theories, I'm not saying that they're untrue. I'm just saying that nothing is safe from conspiracy theory. We already know about 9-11 conspiracy theories. So they're out there on any subject. And also, man, you know, I patted myself on the back last show when I suggested that Nunez should recuse himself from the Russian investigation. And he did. You about three weeks ago said that Bill O'Reilly would not survive at Fox News. And lo and behold, last week, what happened? They got rid of the 20 year vet, their uh, most popular star. He's gone. So you, my friend, can take a bow uh, because you called it. You were the first one to call it. I appreciate that. And, and you know, I don't want to, you know, too long <laughs> horn here, but it, feel, it feels good to be right. But, but what, what, what also you should also keep in mind is that in this day and age of social media and the pressure that the sponsors can put on a network, nobody is safe from anything. It only takes the right thing. The only reason that Donald Trump is still the president right now, mark my words, is because there hasn't been enough of a scandal to just draw that white hot heat on him. There's the, you know, there's the launch, the failed launch of North Korea. There's the, 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 the whatever attack was on Syria. There's the USS Carl Vinson. Nobody knows where it is. So there's all these things kind of going around. But when that white hot heat hits you and everybody's zeroed in on you, you cannot escape. It doesn't matter who you are. So I just that's really what the, the message here is like Bill O'Reilly seemed like he was Teflon Don. He went down TKO. Basically, they pulled the, the pulled the money and they were like, bye, Bill. It was nice knowing you. See you later. Pretty, pretty much. Well, with that said, drop that beat from my man, DJ Tight Mike, and let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Politically Entertaining. We ask that you subscribe. We're on iTunes, uh, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, as well as Google Play uh, on podcasts, Politically Entertaining. You can follow us on Twitter at The Vocal Minority. That's D A V O C A L Minority. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram under Politically Entertaining. Well, Frank, first thing I wanted to ask you, man, free speech. My question to you is, do you think it's in jeopardy? And the reason I ask this is because, you know, our favorite guy, Richard Spencer, known uh, nationalist, white racist. He spoke at um, a university in our home state of Alabama. He spoke at Auburn University. And a lot of people were trying to get him to uh, to to cancel. They were trying to get the university to cancel his speech. And. um it's funny. It wound up taking place. And during the Q&A session, one of the people asked him, how did it feel getting punched in the face? But my larger question to you is, I know we have free speech and it's protected under the Constitution. But should known racists, should people who we know are going to uh, speak about hate? Uh, because we had a similar situation with David Duke down in Louisiana. I think it was at Xavier University, if I'm not mistaken. 
you know what these type of people are about. Uh, David Duke was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Should people like this be allowed to speak at universities or are you for, hey, I may not agree with it, but they're protected under the Constitution and they should be allowed to uh, speak? Well, to my understanding, the university, universities in general should have purview over who does what at their university. So I do believe in free speech, even if it's unfortunately hate speech. Uh, but it is protected. Now, that doesn't mean that you can you can say it on YouTube, right? Or you can say it, um, you know, in, in, to your friends or whatever. Or you can say it if you have a TV show or something like that. But it doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences. So to that end, I think that a guy like Richard Spencer, who obviously made very, you know, to, to be very, very volatile comments regarding race and, and actually just some factually incorrect things about race uh, as well. But he should he be censored? Um, not necessarily, but he should not. If the if a university came out, if you know, a university president said we do not want that type of person to speak on our campus, that is well within their right to do it. It doesn't mean that he should be prosecuted because he is a racist and he has racist speech. I mean, unfortunately, that's not necessarily a crime. So to answer your question, I'm all for freedom of speech in all means, even if it's something I don't like. But I'm not against, for instance, say. Uh, an, an institution like a university deciding who is going to speak there because it's not as if he was a student there. He was speaking there. He was going there to do something there. They weren't censoring a student. He was there. At, I, don't, I don't know the exact details of the event, but, you know, from that standpoint, it wouldn't have bothered me if the university had stepped in and stopped him from speaking because you have to ask yourself the same question. Would Auburn have let um, a, a, a black nationalist you know, say, speak at what they have, you know, at, at the university. So they need to be careful with that. So if, if they did let Richard Spencer speak, which it appears they did, they need to also make sure they're not censoring other people on the opposite end of things because we know how Alabama can do things. So that's my thing. So if, 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 if you're going to do that kind of thing, be consistent. If you're the university, either block it or allow it to happen for both sides. Uh, we're going to talk to author and activist Zaza Ali in just a moment. Uh, but from free speech being in jeopardy to abortion being in jeopardy, I wanted to get your thoughts on this real quick before we talk to Zaza. There's a bill in Montana that's waiting to be signed by the governor. And I want to read part of this bill to you and get your thoughts on it. Uh, the bill is called SB 282. It uh, defines fetal uh, viability at 24 weeks uh, gestation and prevents abortions past that point. Even in a medical emergency, a pregnant person whose fetus stands at 50 percent chance of survival outside the womb would be forced to undergo a C-section or induced labor. I can't even talk. Additionally, under the proposed law, a doctor who provides an abortion past 24 weeks could face charges of homicide. Now, Montana isn't the only state that's trying to have uh, one of these, I guess you can call it extreme abortion bills. There are similar bills in Ohio, Tennessee, Iowa, and other states that are currently in the state legislature. And Arizona in particular, Arizona, I didn't know this, Arizona requires their doctors to try and revive an aborted fetus. So if they, you know, conduct an abortion, if they see life in the fetus, they are uh, forced to try and revive it. Um, Gorsuch, Gorsuch was just confirmed to the Supreme Court 
uh, a couple of weeks ago. We know his stance on abortion. We know Republicans and Donald Trump's stance on abortion. Do you feel like the Republicans are mounting a comeback on this issue because they kind of had left it alone? Like they they always let it be known where they, where they stand on abortion, but they never really try and do anything about it. But when you look at all these separate states that are cracking down on abortion, we talked about Texas and their Supreme Court of battle last year on last season, one of our episodes last season. It seems like more and more Republicans are slowly bringing this issue up. Could abortion be in jeopardy in the near future, in your opinion? No, because can even conservatives need to have abortions for their groupies and their side chicks. So, um, you know, wow. I, I don't I just don't see it. I see it. I see I see it as pandering. I, and I'm saying I'm saying that with a totally straight face. I see it as pandering to the ideals of a party that, you know, that's. A lot we talk about this a lot of times, and, and going back to interview with Quinn and Brooker, and you can listen to this inter, uh, well, this episode, any episode on iTunes. Um, that episode with Quinn and Brooker was very interesting. I asked him a question about people voting against their own interests, and he said, you know, even though Donald Trump has disappointed his constituents, people that voted for him, they still would not reverse course because they voted against their own interests. And part of that is the ideals that they hold, uh, even though Donald Trump's not a true conservative by any means, anybody who understands what conservative means, he he floated and flouted the fact that he was uh, against abortion. So that set, sat well with some people. Some people who were on the fence, they were like, well, he's against abortion, so that's, you know, against murder, so I'm with Donald Trump. So I think that it's all a stance that they, that they keep, but there's no way they're going to get rid of abortion uh, completely, you know, just because it's something that if, if you talk to certain other people who have done more research on uh, this, the topic as, you know, we're going to inter- interview somebody who has extensive study that extensively is it was also done as a way to control certain, uh, you know, say African-American communities growth and population. So I don't see abortion going away as much as potentially some states may have stricter laws, but abortion is going to be around because. There's there's a, there's another agenda behind it potentially, and there's also the first thing that I said in jest, but some with seriousness, which is there's a lot of men out there knocking up women, and they don't want to come with the kid. You know, every you know Carmelo right now, I I don't know his stance on abortion, but I bet he you know considered it. Um, so it's just like it's it's gonna stick around as long as as long as men are fooling around, there'll be abortion clinics. Man, that is a great point. And I laugh when you first uh, when you threw out how Republicans are going to need abortions for their side chicks. I laugh, but that is true. And I think we've mentioned it on the show before. There's a uh, I think he's a former congressman now, but there was a congressman in Tennessee, uh, the Jarless, who, you know, voted many times on bills against abortion. And yet he forced his mistress to have at least two. I think it was even three abortions. So. That's just a, a real life perfect example to uh, Frank's answer. And I think you made a great point. Uh, at the end of the day, it sounds like a lot of politicians that are, you know, telling us to do as they say, but not as they do. And it's not going anywhere, but it's interesting that they seem to be coming for this issue again. With that said, uh, let's uh, talk to Zaza Ali. She's going to join the show and uh, we're going to ask her a few questions. So check it out. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. 
we have a special guest with us today on Politically Entertaining. She's an author, activist, radio personality, and most important, she's a mother, author of uh, Black Lives, sorry, Black Matters, Volume 1 and 2. Uh, you can purchase the books on ZazaAli.com. Uh, you can purchase Volume 1 on Amazon as well. Volume 3 will be coming soon. Zaza Ali, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. OK, we appreciate you on um, Dr. Umar Johnson. He's uh, he's often charged with being a misogynist and anti-gay. And because of that, uh, he has been rejected at some of his scheduled speaking engagements. I know in my hometown of Mobile, Alabama, that was a big controversy with him coming down there to speak. And similar charges have been lev- leveled at you at times for being misogynist and anti-gay has uh has that happened to you has that happened where you were scheduled for a speaking engagement and uh people who have you know come out and said no we don't want her to come it has any other criticism that you receive uh surprised you at all well no that's never happened to me i did have a situation at uh cal state um some of the black student unions from cal state universities last year uh, excuse me, earlier this year where, um, you know, some people were offended by some things that I had said. Um, but as far as people rallying to not have me speaking at certain uh, events or venues, no, that's never happened to me. Um, I'm never surprised by the controversy, uh, you know, of course, online, you know, <laughs> right. all hell breaks loose. But I'm <laughs> never surprised by the controversy. I mean, we live in a world of deception. And people are more comfortable with the lie and um, with living a lie and with not having to face and focus on truth. So when you bring truth to the table, when you bring logic, when you bring, you know, realistic conversation to the table, it unnerves a lot of people. uh, Because unfortunately, um, there are masses of people now, particularly with the Internet, who don't use discernment, uh, who don't think logically and um, who have no concept of us. you know, preparing for and working towards something for generations coming beyond us. I see. Now, um, speaking of controversy, your your take on single mothers, it reminds me of a, uh, a Chris Rock joke that he said one time where, yeah, you can drive a car with your foot, but that doesn't mean it should be done. And he was speaking to women who say who say, I don't need a man to raise a child. He's saying, yeah, you can do it. But that doesn't mean that it should be done. How how do we go from women who are just making the best of a situation that's not ideal to this attitude from some single parents, from some single mothers that take on the attitude of I don't need a man for anything? How do we get to that point with a lot of uh, women's thinking on that? Well, those women are putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. You know, it's like you live in a in a world that is constantly rejecting you and you don't have the support that you need and you don't have the basic fundamental, you know, premise and element that all of us are searching for, which is love. I, I don't care what any woman says. She wants love. And most of us want to be loved by men. And some of us have gone in a different direction. But, you know, the, the basic premise for humanity is human contact and love. And so we're dealing with women who a lot of times have, you know, been dragged through the mud or who have made bad decisions with men. And then you add a child into the um, into the into the, you know, equation. 
and now you are responsible for a child 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, you have to sacrifice everything in order to make sure that this child is eating and living and, you know, has what they need. Um, and it puts a, a, a heavy burden on women. You know, being a, a parent, being a parent is a two-person job. Uh, mm-hmm. That goes for single men who are raising children, and that goes for single women who are raising children. That is a two-person job. So anytime you have one person doing 100% of two people's job, it is it is a very hot, heavy burden. And so now you have women who have, you know, who are, are bitter and who are angry and who are, you know, trying to on the outside appear as if they are carrying the burden uh, with ease or, you know, rejecting the idea of love because they don't think that love is ever going to come, you know, reach them. And I talk about that in my, in my second book, Plagues of Dysfunction. So, you know, it's, it's, it's women who have calluses on their heart and who don't really know how to be vulnerable and how to be open. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, pop culture now is teaching women uh, in different ways, directly and indirectly, you know, that this whole uh, the feminist element, the, you know, the girl power element, which, of course, I'm all for girl power. I'm all for black girls rock. But right. I also think that as women, black women in particular, we have to be just as uh, staunch in our representation of men, our loving and compassion and nurturing for men. Um, that has to be part of the equation in order for us to balance out our communities. Hey, hey, I'm gonna jump in here. This is Frank, and you know I've, I've watched a number of your interviews, and they're so uh, thought provoking. And if you certainly haven't thought of some of the things you you said regarding a relationship between you know white feminism and how it affects you know black people and black women, uh, things about the cell phones, things about the the food, the way it's. I guess my thing is you have a, you have so much that's so much to digest. Like you mentioned uh, before you even started, like people living a lie, people being comfortable living in a lie. Um, how how would you explain to somebody who's young African American who's trying who's saying, hey, you know what? I do think that there are some things that I'm missing out on. How can I, you know, obviously you can't get to where you are overnight, but where where can I jump in and maybe start to understand some of the misteaching, some of the misinformation that's been handed out for centuries? so that I could start to re-educate myself? Well, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that. Um, I'm actually working now. I have a crowdfunding campaign going where I'm going to be doing uh, youth retreats for young brothers and sisters that are growing up in the ghetto in these urban communities that really don't understand the science of themselves and and feel like they are uh, loved by the broader communities. Um, And you can get more information on that on my website. But you know, for me, I always, one of the things I, I use, I used to, uh, I volunteer teaching at a juvenile detention center. I've worked with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, I use pop culture as a segue in order to start a conversation. So, like, right now, I love Kendrick Lamar. You know, I think he is a beautiful, brilliant, talented brother um, who is way ahead of his time. He's got an old soul. So I'll take a Kendrick Lamar song like Fear uh, and break down the lyrics, put it up on a screen and just, and, and just talk about it from beginning to end and get them to open up. I think that's the first thing. Um, and then also, you know, there's a lot of different stories in the news right now. Khalif Browder is, is one of those that's really, really prominent yes. in my mind. That is a great teaching tool for me. Here you have a 16 year old brother who gets, uh, you know, stopped and frisk in New York and he ends up spending three years of his life in jail and then he ends up committing suicide. Well, Khalif Browder's story didn't start when he got, you know, arrested. 
he was uh, adopted. You know, his mother was a crack addict. He grew up in a very poor situation. You know, he didn't have male guidance. His father, adoptive father, walked out on his family. So stories like that that they can relate to, um, I you know, I use as, as a, a talking point. And then, of course, music and culture and the way we dress and the way we dance and, you know, our rhythm and our hairstyles and things like that I get you know, bring them to the table so I can open them up. And then we can start talking about food. You know, why do you have all that acne in your face? Why is your skin all broke out? You think it's just because you're a teenager, but no. What did you eat for dinner last night? What did you eat for breakfast? Oh, okay. Well, do you know what's in that pork? Do you know that some of the, you know, if you eat oranges that don't have seeds, that, that can be genetically modified food? You know, and then do you look up in the sky? Do you notice the lines in the sky? You know, do you think that's normal? Does that look like a cloud? Does that look like, you know, do you know what chemtrails is? So I, because I'm, I'm an avid student, I'm an avid researcher. I just, I love, 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 love knowledge. I love, you know, um, I love learning. And so I try to find ways to make learning interesting and make it fun, not just for young people, but for just, our, for, just for people in general, our people in general. Wow, that's 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 an amazing answer. And you know, one of the things that Byron mentioned when he introduced you when you came out for an interview, he mentioned that you were a mother uh, first and foremost. And I know that you do yeah. a ton of stuff. I mean, as like I said, I I spent about maybe two or three hours the last couple of days just trying to look at you know some of the different interviews. I mean, you are very very generous with your time. And with that being said, how do you balance that with being a mother? And, and you know how children are. You know, I know you're doing a lot of good work and educating a lot of people including us as we were talking to you on this interview, but kids want their mother. You know, they don't think, oh, hey, my mom's making a difference in the world. They just want their mom. How do you balance everything you're doing with the weight of what you're doing with just being a mother and being there for your for your child? Well, you know, my son's 13 now, so the last thing he wants to do is be in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, I've had to learn over the past year, even talking to some of my friends, like, you know, my son doesn't want to, he doesn't want to hang out with me. We don't go to the movies anymore. Like, he's, he's like, mom, get away from me. You know he's what too, I mean? He's so too cool for I you think now. He is too cool for me now. You know, his last birthday, I wanted to throw a big party. He was like, no, I just want to go to the mall with some of my friends. So I was like, but what about me? You know what I mean? You know, and I was really in my feelings about it. So, but you know, it's, it's, you know, in talking to friends and peers, he's growing at a, a healthy pace. And of course, at 13, this is, he's an alpha male. Of course, he's very, you know, independent minded and he's, he's got his own. He's a thinker. He's very popular. He's athletic and whatnot. So he's, he's healthy and he's growing at the right phase. So I just kind of, I'm learning to, you know, relinquish the, the cut the umbilical cord and just kind of let him do his thing. And then, you know, come when, when we need to, you know, watch movies together, go out to the movies or, you know, like tonight, I'm going to take him out to dinner after we, after I pick him up from the gym and just, you know, I buy books that I know my son will be interested in. So right now he and I are re- reading uh, the story of Mumia Abu-Jamal. I just bought him the Dwayne Wade, uh, not Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Dwayne Wade. The Dwayne yeah. Wade book. He's in, you, you know, go. into basketball. Yeah. Um, he loves Allen Iverson. So Allen Iverson is next in my, in my wish list on, on Amazon. You know, buying things, getting things that I know that he's interested in to cultivate knowledge. Sometimes I, I, I get upset because, you know, he's not a, a reader like me. Like I'm a nerd for real. And I want him to pick up the books on his own. And so I have to be like, okay, just chill out, Zaza. You know, let him be him. Let him be into the thing he thinks he's into and just plant the seeds and, and they'll grow at the right time. Zaza, you are a Tupac fan and your son is a, a Dwayne Wade fan. So you are all right with me. <laughs> 
We All are, right, I'll take that. <laughs> we are talking to Zaza Ali, activist, radio personality, uh, also author of Black Matters. I fumbled this at the beginning. Black Matters Volume 1 and 2 are available now. You can go to ZazaAli.com. Volume 3 is coming this summer. I actually just purchased uh, Volume 1. As soon as I finish the new Jim Crow, I'm going to dive into it because I read like the first chapter and it's already interesting. So I can't wait to get oh, to yeah, it. The new Jim Crow, uh, new Jim Crow is, is definitely the, the good book for everybody to read. And isn't it funny uh, how her book came out now? Look at everything that's happening as far as in the, you know, the prison industrial complex, the situation in Massachusetts right now and the Khalif Browder story. Um, oh. She was definitely on time with her work. I was going to say, I, I don't I don't recommend reading that book and watching that Khalif Browder documentary at the same time. I'm telling oh, man, you, it, that it, Khalif Browder documentary, it, it ripped the hole in my heart. I'm not even yes, lying. I'm still yes, trying to process. You know what I mean? Yes, it did. Now, with with black matters, um, in your opinion, what wasn't being said to African-Americans or not being said enough? that you were able to express in, in your first two books? Because originally when you wrote it, it was like a 600-page book, and you, de- yeah. you decided to uh, divide it up into three volumes. Right. So what did, what did Zaza feel wasn't being said enough to African Americans that we can find in your books? Well, you know, that first book, The Scientific Intervention in Our Affairs, I mean, that, you know, to me it's like there's this whole scientific world that's happening behind the scenes and we're not even talking about it like you know chemtrails obviously vaccinations have made more you know are are a little bit more trending now as far as because of the situation in california with the the law that was passed making vaccinations mandatory and you know people are a little bit more um uh tuned in to what's happening with vaccinations even though a lot of us are still getting vaccinated with you know because they said we should and because they told us to um, but, you know, genetically modified food, um, I, you know, there is nothing more sacred and important besides the water you drink and the air that you breathe, uh, besides the food that you put into your body, you know. And so me growing up in Oakland and, you know, coming from a family that really didn't place a lot of emphasis on health, um, once I started to, you know, learn about food and then I, I started to learn about genetically modified food, I was like, wait a minute, you know, why wouldn't they only put this type of food in the hood? Why wouldn't they only, you know, put this, send this type of food to poor people or predominantly poor people? So, um, you know, the, the, the food um, and then, of course, the situation with uh, Kendra Johnson uh, here in Georgia, where that brother was wrapped up in a mat and um, all of his organs were removed, you know. Yeah, and I had yes. already been privy to, um, you know, some different stories across the country and even the broader uh, market of the, the organ trafficking around the world. I mean, we're talking about a, a $100 billion industry where people are actually selling organs and different body parts and skin tissues on the black market. And so I remember I was listening to Dick Gregory one time, and he was saying that, you know, he thought the police were doing some of the drive-bys in Chicago and things like that. And I was like, well, man, that would be perfect. You know, you take a brother off the streets and then now he's in the medical examiner's, the coroner's office. And, you know, nobody's going to go back in there and double check that work to make sure that those organs or whatnot are still, you know, the body's dead now. The body has no more, no, no more use for us. But in the broader medical industry, you know, there is a, it's, it's big money. And then I started thinking about, wait a minute, you got to have surgeons, you got to have nurses, you got to have, you know, helicopters and people to transport these, these organs and, 
you know, so I, I think about things deeply like that. So for me, the scientific intervention in our affairs, uh, and particularly crack cocaine, and I talk about crack and um, its inception because I saw crack, you know, rip half of my family apart and then what it did to, to Oakland. Um, I, was, I, I was always like, who, what, when, where, why, and how? You know, that's my scientist mind. So um, that, that's what provoked the scientific intervention in our affairs. And eventually I'm probably going to write a follow-up to that book because there's so, much, there's so many things that I didn't cover. I wanted to write it in simple language so that if a 15 or 16-year-old picked the book up, they would be able to embrace it. Um, and then book two, Plagues of Dysfunction, you know, I always say that self-accountability is the most important thing for us. You know, I used to really get mad when people would say, you know, white, white people, uh, black people are our worst enemy. You know, I would that it, it would frustrate me so much. It's like what? It's like, you know, don't you know what these people are doing in Africa right now? Don't you know they created crack cocaine? Don't you know that they put guns and drugs in the community? You know, but as I've I've gotten older and matured now, and I see our behavior, and I see us having opportunities for growth and for, you know spiritual and mental and emotional development, and we continue to stay stuck in this, in this perverse way of life. Uh, there's three, three uh, subject matters. The first one is black girl loss. Uh, the second one is a people of sport and play. And then the third one is message to the black man in America. All of this is in uh, book two, Plagues of Dysfunction. And I just talk about some of the things that, you know, we like to pretend is not happening. You know, black women and weave and, and how much money we spend on our, on our hair care and, you know, you can wear whatever kind of hair you want to wear. That's, that's your prerogative. Um, but if we are spending, you know, a hundred million dollars, uh, excuse me, a billion dollars a year on hair and we have African centered schools in the community struggling, something's not adding up. <laughs> we have libraries in our communities that are closing and, you know, our schools are, are, I mean, public schools are closing down every day. Like, why can't we take some of that money and take some initiative to start being builders in our communities opposed to only being consumers. So um, that, you know, and just how we spend our money, male-female relationships, you know, vanity and this, this weird combination of insecurity and vanity now that you see in a lot of women on, online, you know, it's, just, it's, it's crazy. So I wanted to address some of those things and address it from a perspective of, look, I went through some of this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I was materialistic at one time. You know what I mean? I was, I was that girl. So I'm not judging, but we got to get this right. Final question. So you, you were materialistic, so you, you, you had a pair of red bottoms, Zaza? I had a red bottoms. I had some Chanel's, you know what I mean? Yeah, I went through all of that. But you know um, what? I, I, uh, it never made me. That's one thing I can say about me. I had it, but it was never like, you know what I mean? I need this in order to feel secure. I was just flossing at one point in time. But, you know, I didn't go through that. You know, you know how sometimes you see women and they got their purses up and they hold it up just so you can see the the, the symbol and all of that. I, yeah. I see that all the time in Atlanta. I, I was never into it like that. No, I didn't. The, make, the purse didn't make me. I made the purse. Uh, I know we're running up against time. So final question. Uh, I saw a video where you were critical of Black Lives Matter and their official message. Um, has anyone from Black Lives Matter reached out to you and address what you mentioned at all and, and try to, uh, I guess, come to an agreement on what the message should be? No. I did have a sister, um, mm-hmm. you know, after the controversy, and uh, I put a video up about the LGBTQ community in, uh, when, that, when that whole situation at Cal, Cal State uh, went down earlier this year. And I had a sister from 
the Black Student Union reached out to me because um, she was very disappointed about just the the behavior and the mindset of a lot of our young people, which is what I was addressing, you know, not being able to take constructive criticism, not being able to sit and listen when you have an elder talking to you, whether you agree or not. Um, and that was in response to some of the things Minister Farrakhan said. So um, that, you know, and there was a, that Black Lives Matter culture was, is very prominent now in the collegiate system with, the, you know, particularly the black student unions. Um, but no, no one has, has reached out to me. It's interesting because the two sisters who started the group are actually from Oakland. But um, I think that I don't think that there is a cohesive element in that particular organization that is looking to unify black men and women. Um, and I haven't seen anything to this point to 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 you know make me feel otherwise. Now, have they been you know uh, vocal as far as discussing police brutality and murders of you know different brothers and, and even sisters and transgenders? Yes, but you know it's one thing to be reactionary and to you know continuously react to injustices. It's another thing, and this this organization obviously now is being well funded by, you know, some other people who don't have our best interests at hand. But it's another thing to take the initiative to start to go out into the community and actually be proactive in creating organizations and programs, you know, in the school systems and uh, in juvenile detention centers and with the prison industrial complex that are actually going to help our people. And I haven't seen anything from Black Matters, Black Lives Matter, excuse me, uh, that would make me feel that that is their intention. So because I am critical of them like that, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it, that's probably not going to happen, and that's fine. You know, I just want people to, to start looking at things for what they really are and stop getting so you know, we get we jump on these bandwagons because we're having emotional knee jerks, you know, because of the constant injustice. And, you know, you keep seeing brothers getting murdered on TV and, it, you know, it's affecting us psychologically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It's like a constant burden. But, you know, we have to stop having knee jerk reactions and start being proactive in our communities so that we don't end up with Khalif Browders. And we don't end up with, you know, Eric Garner. I, I say all the time, you know, how many of us would have actually given Eric Garner a job? How many of us would have actually given Mike Brown a job? No, we look at them brothers every day when we pass them on the block and turn our nose up at them. You know, when do our brothers in the community and in the hood and in urban areas become our brothers again? Only when they die. And that's not, that's not, that's not acceptable. And that's not acceptable when Black Lives Matter does it. And it's not acceptable for us collectively as a people. Frank Frank said it in his question. You you are um, you're, you're teaching us some things. Um, Zaza Ali, author of Black Matters, Volume One, Two, and Three will be available uh, this summer. Volumes One and Two are available now. You can pick up Three this summer. Also visit Zaza Ali Z A Z A A L I dot com Zaza Ali dot com. You can read her latest piece on the myths of our drinking water. And also she's doing some great things. She mentioned in one of her answers. One of her answers on what she's doing for the youth and how she's raising money to educate them. So you can donate there. Just visit ZazaAli.com. Check her out. I know uh, you got to get out of here. I just want to personally, once again, thank you for making time for us and coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much, brother, for having me. And y'all keep <clears throat> doing what you're doing, educating people. And, you know, always know that there, there are people that are listening and that are feeding off of that light and that need that that guidance and that extra push. So I appreciate you for having me and I appreciate you for what you do. I know we thanked her while she was on air and I want to thank her one more time. Zaza Ali, if you're listening, even if you're not listening right now, 
Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Frank and I enjoyed that. Uh, I know she said some things that people aren't used to hearing. Uh, the Chicago police being accused of doing some of the drive-bys in Chicago. She's not the first person I've heard say that. There are many that have speculated and uh, pointed to that. She speaks with a lot of passion, Frank. And the number one thing I get from her is she doesn't say what's easy to say. So we couldn't get into a lot of the specifics of the things she said uh, in my questions. But, you know, she has criticized the attitude of single mothers. She's criticized Black Lives Matter, as I said. Those aren't popular things to do. And I don't think she's looking for popularity or, or any of that. She's in her mind. She's telling you what is true. And you either can listen to it or not or agree with it or not. But uh, I love the passion that she speaks with. And as always, I want to get your thoughts on what you thought of the interview. No, I mean, I, I was very impressed. Like I said, I'm always trying to learn from our guests. One of the things that I feel like we've been blessed with on this show is just a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives. And, you know, a lot of times people will say things and I'm not either. I wouldn't say I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I may not understand it. So I have to go back and research and say, hey, why did they say that or what are they getting at? So she definitely, uh, you know, had a few of those moments. But I, I think it's all good when somebody comes on the show and makes you think and makes you say, hey, why is why are we look at things this way? Or why do we consider you know, just the same song and dance that we do, and it, you know, things are always like how they are, rather than trying to find the root of the problem. And you know, her being a thinker and a reader, and really dedicated to just uncovering the truth, is something that a lot of people, as she mentioned about social media, makes us very flat as far as our our research. We see something in our timeline, and we like it or we dislike it, or we write a comment and share a post, and we think we did something. She's writing books you know ladies and gentlemen she's researching she's talking to different people she's going back and looking up stuff so that's we you know we have to have that type of mindset uh certainly uh, as african americans you know going forward just just to understand some of the things that have happened to us and how we can better you know solve some of the issues we have and you know even i you know on the show we say hey you know vote do these different things but i think it's also very important to understand Again, being educated on what you're voting for, why you're voting for, who this person is, maybe what they've done in the past. Those are all things that are part of thinking and, and part of what we want people to do. So just great to have her on. Uh, great spirit. And we hope to have her again. Uh, we are on YouTube. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel on Politically Entertaining. We have many of our interviews on there. Uh, Nicole Spears interview. We had her on a, a few weeks ago. Her interview is up on YouTube. The Tim Wise video is now over 2,000 views, so thank you for checking that out. Continue to tell people about that interview, and no doubt we'll have this Zaza, Zaza Ali interview on YouTube soon as well. Um, folks, we're going to get out of here with this last topic real quick. Uh, I want to talk about domestic violence a little bit, and I believe it was our first, maybe even second episode, Frank. It was during the whole Ray Rice thing, and we talked about domestic violence then. Uh, I mentioned the Facebook killer at the top of the show as far as uh, with some of the conspiracy theories that were going on. But what I saw that was, you know, sick besides the, the, the killing that he committed on video were the people that were blaming his ex-girlfriend, uh, Joy Lane. She was getting messages from people saying that, why don't you just take him back? You're not even all that. Look at all this pain you're causing. Uh even in our hometown, Frank, you know, since we've been off the last two weeks, uh, it was a gruesome murder. 
where a guy threw his girlfriend out of the car on the interstate and wound up killing himself in the Walmart parking lot. Um, and then what also makes me upset are the things that are said to victims of uh, domestic violence. You, anywhere from people saying, well, if you if you stupid enough to let him let a man beat on you and you stay with him, then that's on you. I don't have any sympathy for that. Why don't you just leave? Things like that. And you would think by now, it's 2017, that people would be more educated on this and, and be more understanding. But it's, it, I said it's 2017. It seems like it's much, much uh, in the past when it comes to this, because, like I say, people still blaming the victim. We still put it on the woman. Is this a product of, uh, of male privilege where people are just so hesitant to put the onus on the man that they just find ways to blame the victim and blame the women in a lot of these cases? Hey, man, if you want to get biblical, as, as we have on shows in the past, I'll make, try to make this quick. It goes back to the original, thing, original sin, right? Adam blames Eve. I mean... It, it, we kind of do the same thing now. Yeah. I, I, I know that it's that you may say that's ah, kind of far out left field, but it's no, like very it. it's very easy to marginalize a woman. We've been doing it since the beginning of time. You've been saying, "Hey, look, this woman made me eat this apple." You know, anytime Adam could have said, "Ah, you know what? God said, don't eat that apple. You shouldn't have eaten that apple." When God comes back, I'm gonna tell him what you did. Right? Mm-hmm. Could have been a completely different outcome. Instead, he was like, "Oh, I guess I eat the apple too." Now, I don't want to get, I don't want to go down that path. But what I'm saying is. There is an there's an enmity between man and woman that's existed in the beginning of time where woman being a victim, a man finds a way to absolve himself from the circumstance, even if he's completely responsible for it. You know, as the as the man, Adam should have been like, no, don't take that apple. And just as the same way as a man, doesn't matter what a woman says to you, how mad she makes you. If you need to leave the relationship, do that. Don't put your hands on her. Say, you know what? I don't want to abuse you anymore. I'm leaving. I'm getting in my car. I'm going away. Because that's not a crime. Now, you know, once you start verbally abusing or physically abusing your wife, now you're committing a crime. So I'm saying men have to have more fortitude and more resolve in these difficult situations. Not saying there's not difficult situations, but as a man, you have to take full responsibility and say, no matter what, I'm not going to do anything abusive. Even if that means I'm walking out to not, you know, go to go somewhere else, I'm going to do that versus, you know, smacking her down because I'm going to let her know I'm the man. I'm in charge. That's we have to we have to grow and accept responsibility of being the man, of being the head, and not just, you know, saying, well, you know, if she was this or that or if this, you know, I, I've been stressed in my job or whatever it is. You can't bring that. You you have to bring positive positivity to your home. So, I mean, I, like I said, that's just my opinion on why we keep doing it. I think that's that's just a way that it keeps getting recycled over and over again. So hopefully men will start taking more responsibility for their actions and relationships and understand that everything they say and do affects the way that women react to them. Uh, I mentioned our hometown. There was also a viral video uh, several weeks ago where a guy saw a man, you know, hitting on his woman like uh, in the middle of the street. And he actually jumped in and, and stopped it and wound up driving the woman to the police officer. And he, he, he re- recorded all of it. And some of the comments on there, man. And you know what, Frank, it's not just men. It's, it's a lot of women. That, that said he should have minded his business. Uh, she ain't going to do nothing but go back to him anyway. So why did you jump in? Uh, so I'm, I'm just floored by 
just how we respond to something that we know is wrong. Because when we saw that Ray, Ray Rice video, everybody was shocked and appalled and outraged. It seems like that only happens when we have video, but that's what domestic violence, physical domestic violence looks like every time. So it shouldn't take video for you to be outraged. If someone is a victim, they're a victim and you shouldn't go to blaming them for it. So, but I like, I like the uh, example that you use uh, with Adam and Eve. I think that's great, man. Something to that. And we just really got to uh, change our way of thinking and find find more ways to help these women, help them get out of these situations that they think they don't have a choice as far as leaving that person or they think it's love or they or they some of these women think it's their fault that they're getting hit on. We have to find a way to help these women and not blame them. Uh, so that's my little um, piece on that. Before you take us out, Frank, real quick, some of you may know I work on uh, Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Last week. Had a gentleman, he was outside working uh, on the Capitol, and I, f- I don't know exactly what he was doing, but a tree wound up falling on him. Some of you may have seen the, the news coverage of the article on that. Uh, he was 30 years old, had two kids and a wife. Uh, there's a GoFundMe page for him under Matthew McClanahan. That's Matthew McClanahan, M-C-C-L-A-N-A-H-A-N. Matthew McClanahan, age 32 kids, lost his life. I mean, just think about it. You leave for work like you do every morning. You probably tell your wife, I love you. See you later. He probably had plans for this weekend, plans after he got off work. And just like that, his life was gone. So uh, if you have the extra money, if you if you find it in your heart, check out that GoFundMe page and uh, donate to it. And I'll pass it off to you, Frank. Again, I want to thank all the listeners. If this is your first time, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you'll be back. Again, big shout out, big thanks to Mrs. Aza Ali. Thank you for coming on, enlightening us. Hope to have you back in the future. Uh, we're just, again, we're just honored to do this show every every week or every other week, whenever we do it. Uh, we just try to let you guys know what's going on so that you can see the world from the from the perspective that you need to, to look, see it, to make a difference. And so we just appreciate your listening. Again, continue to share the show, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. We definitely appreciate it. We'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.